When was the last time that you lost something? Perhaps it was this morning when you're looking for your snow boots, thinking, I put them here last March. Where are they? I think it's just safe to say that we've all at one time or another lost something. But have you ever lost someone? Have you ever lost a person? About uh, 20 years ago, very good friends of mine, they rejoiced at the birth of their first child, a son. And to my great honor, they asked that I would be their son's godfather, which I accepted. During this time, I was often away from Canada. Whenever I came back, I would visit them and see how my godson was growing. On one occasion when I was visiting them, he was about five years old, they decided, let's go to the shopping mall. So we off, don't get ahead of me, don't get ahead of me. We all went off to the shopping mall, and uh, his mother said to me, why don't you take, take the boy and go to the toy store? We have some business to do. So, great, we headed off, I took his hand, and I headed off into a mall I did not know, to a toy store that he knew, and so he directed us to this, uh, this place. And uh, we got to the toy store. How long did you think it took before I lost him? <laughs> Any guesses? Two minutes. Two minutes. One, one second. 60 seconds. <laughs> he was gone in 60 seconds. When I let go of his hand, he took off like a, a dog unleashed at a dog park. Gone. Around the corner, down an aisle. And I followed him, but when I got there, he wasn't there. Went to the next aisle, he's not there. Next aisle, he's not there. So I began to start to panic a bit. Okay, he's got to be in the store because I kept the entrance, the only entrance in sight. So he had to be there somewhere, but I couldn't find him. So I thought perhaps maybe he somehow got behind me and he's out in the mall area. So I exited the toy store and I stood there and I looked. I don't see him anywhere. Man, I'm in trouble. Where did he go? It was only as I turned around and looked back at the store that I realized where he'd gone. Somehow, only known to God and himself, he'd wiggled into the display window and he was standing there playing with some toy. (laughs) Hi, uncle. (laughs) So I decided to uh, coax him out, take his hand, we got to find your parents. And off we went. It can be terrifying not knowing where someone is. It can be frustrating not even knowing where you are. When you see or hear the words, you are here, what comes to mind? It's often this. It's just a big arrow that says, this is where you are. You're right here. And usually we look for this sign because we're either lost and we don't know where we are, or we need to go somewhere and we don't know how to get there from where we are. And so we find a map in a store, we find a street map on a kiosk, we go to the metro, we look on the underground where we are and where we're going to go. But when I said the words, you are here, what most of you probably did not think about was about God. That God, you are here. By his spirit, he's everywhere. Right now at this moment, as you sit here, God is here. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Screwtape Letters, 
has a very interesting comment that always has stuck with me. He said, the present is the point at which time touches eternity. The present is the point at which time touches eternity. God does not live in the past. He doesn't live in the future. He lives right now. He eternally exists in the present, at this moment. For us, time marches on. We're moving from 2015, next week, 2016. Each moment we move from the past, present, and into the future. But for God, there is no past or future. He knows everything. And since you and I cannot live in the past, although we sometimes try, and we can't live in the future, the only place we can touch God is right now. I want you to imagine a common example. A long string, start and finish, past and present. We're on that little string, making our way along life. God is not on that string. God is above it, outside of it. He sees the beginning and the end at the same time. He sees your complete life, your grandparents, your grandchildren. He sees it all. And at the moment that he sees, that's where he's at. This is why we can say that the present is the moment when both God is here and you are here meet. This is the point right now at each moment that we connect with the eternal God because he is here. In the poem of prayer in Psalm 139, and I invite you to turn there to follow along as we go through the passage, King David understood that God is always present, and he celebrates this. He he celebrates God's wondrous and complete knowledge of everything. Now, it's a knowledge that we cannot comprehend. I don't know how God knows everything, but he does. And it leads us to join with David in praise and worship and in honesty, to be honest with God. By understanding that God is always here means that your past, your future, and how you choose to live at this moment is known to him. It's always known to him. As you reflect on 2015, as it comes to a close in a few days, and look ahead to what comes in 2016, God gives you and he gives me both the comfort and the challenge to live with him, not tomorrow, but today, right now. That's all we have, is at this moment. It is not so much that what you did or what happened in 2015, or what you will be in 2016. It's all about learning to live with God at every moment. Even when we plan our future, we plan it right now. It's an event that occurs now as you look ahead. In this psalm, David gives us four ways that God knows us. God knows who I am. He knows who you are. He knows where you are. He knows what you are, and he knows your heart. As we work through this psalm, I want you to notice that David begins and ends with the same thought. Search me. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Past tense, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. In verse 24, he ends, or 23, he ends, search me, God, and know my heart. And in between this searching, David talks about how God knows us and how we need to respond to that knowledge of how God knows us and transforms us. David begins in verses 1 to 6 
by talking about how God knows, knows who we are. You know, this is considered to be omniscience, that God knows all things. But in verse 2 it says, You know, God, you know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. God knows your intentions. He knows my intentions, my desires, and my thoughts. Nothing is hidden from him. He knows it all. He knows you on the inside and on the outside. Most times we see people on the outside, but God knows us on the inside. When I was thinking about this, I remembered a video that I'd seen, a short little funny video. It was about a mother who had told her small boy, her son, don't eat the cupcake. And so she came back to the kitchen. Cupcake was gone. Maybe you've seen this, I don't know. So she took a camera and she went to her boy and she said, did you eat the cupcake? He said, no, I did not. And what was funny was his mouth was covered in icing. Of course he ate the cupcake. But he didn't know that she could see it. And everybody else watching the video. That's how God looks at us. Sometimes we say to God, no. And God says, yeah, I can see it. In fact, sometimes things are obvious to people around us that we don't think they are. Because they see us as well. But God sees us on the inside as well. He knows what's inside of us. In verse 5, it continues with this. You hem me in before and behind, and you lay your hand upon me. Why would God hem us in? Doesn't that sound restrictive? I'm going to to hem you in so you can't run around like a crazy child at a toy store. Well, it's the idea that God protects us. He guides us. He protects you from yourself. There are things that you and I would do that we need protection we see it in children particularly. They, need, they don't understand. They need protection. But even as adults, we may make choices that are not the best for us. God hems us in and he protects us. He protects us from others and others from us. He lays his hand upon us to provide guidance. Because, because he knows who you are, he knows who he wants you to be. And he can guide us to become the people that he wants us to be. And so David, of course responds in this way. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. How can I possibly grasp all that God knows of me? Now maybe this year has been a a difficult year for you. Perhaps uh, 2015 is a year you want to forget. That was one bad year. Maybe this year has been the best of years. It's been amazing what you've seen in your life. Or perhaps it's been a bit of both. Struggles and blessings at the same time. For still others, maybe, maybe you don't like who you are. Maybe it's like, okay, God, you know who I am, but I don't like what I am. I don't like who I am. And so you're standing before God in that sense. Whatever your situation, God's word tells us that he knows who you are and that he's shaping you to become who he desires you to be. Remember that line that I, I draw in your minds? If he knows you're here now, he knows who you're going to be here. And to get you from here to here, he knows certain things have to happen to take you to that place. But it's not the only way that God knows us. David also tells us 
that God knows where you are. That can be kind of strange. God knows where you are. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. And David begins with asking a rhetorical question. A rhetorical question is asking a question you know the answer to. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Have you ever felt like that? Lord, I really messed up. I just want to just disappear for a while. But I can't because you're everywhere. Your spirit is there and your presence is there. David says, if I go as high as I can to the heavens, you're there. If I got on a spaceship and traveled out of the galaxy, it wouldn't matter. God is there. If I go in the deepest depths and think I'm far away from God, God is there. If I go to the east or the west, he is there. And it reminds me of what, uh, what Paul said in the New Testament. Familiar verse. Scripture's all connected. It all fits together. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is why we cannot be separated. Because he's always there. He's always present. And so this means that there's no hide and seek with God. God is in plain sight. God doesn't stand there and say, I wonder if they can find me. I'm going to hide. It may feel like that. But he's there. Because the interesting thing is, God's the one who finds you. God's the one. You may have to play hide and seek with him, but he knows where you are. And he's the one who finds where you are. You cannot be hidden from God. And at this moment, you may feel lost. I don't know where I am. I don't know where I'm going. I can barely recall where I've been. You may feel that you are not sure who you are and where you are right now. You may think that God is absent, unresponsive. Perhaps it's been a tough year, a difficult few months, and it's led you to ask the question, you know, when I think about it, does God really care? Does God know where I am? Am I just wandering around and... uh, He's just on a vacation. Conversely, you may be thinking, you know, God knows way too much about me. And he's calling me to make changes in my life that I don't want to make or to fall into places I don't want to go. But he knows where I need to be. You're not alone. David in this psalm felt the same way. We all feel the same way at different parts and times in our lives. Because in verse 10... It says, not only does God know where you are, he knows where you need to be. Even there, wherever I am, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast, hold me steady, will lay a hold of me. This idea of your hand and your right hand, it's important, your right hand. The right hand often refers to God's power. In Psalm 118, it says, Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. It's the left hand. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done many things. But the right hand also means something else. It also refers to the Messiah, who sits at the Father's right hand. Also from the Psalms, the Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. God's right hand knows and guides you 
from where you are now to where you need to be tomorrow or this afternoon. And his right hand is Jesus and it's in power. Nothing can stop where he wants you to be. So how do we respond to this? How do we respond to such knowledge? Well, we should be comforted. Comforted in the peace that God knows where you are. That right now he knows what's going on in your life. That you can never be separated from his love. Nothing can get between you and God. It requires us to be willing to trust him. To trust him to take us to where he knows we should be. This applies equally to our church. Where is our church going? You know, this is something that um, the leadership team is constantly seeking God over. Father, where should we be? What should we be doing? We want to discern where you're leading us so we can follow you. Because leadership means that he is guiding us and leading us and we're following where he is. Now, God not only knows where you are and transforms you, he also knows where you are and where he's taking you. And he also knows what you are. He knows what you are. Another interesting thing, because these are all interconnected, who, what, and where. This idea of God's omnipotence, his power, that he can see us and know us. And this is often seen, as David says in verse 13, for you created me in my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. How many of you knit? Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to make me something. I don't know how to knit. I've watched people who knit uh, and they do it very fast. They'll drop a stitch, go back and start again. The idea of knitting is active involvement. It means being involved in what's the process of what's happening. When David says, God, you knitted me together in my mother's womb, God was involved in the very creation of who you are, your physical being. In verse 14, he says, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are beautiful. I know that full well. That you're physically complex. You're beautiful and detailed and beyond full comprehension. Yes, science has cracked the genome, and know, the DNA, but there's so many things about us physically that still is a mystery of how God has made us. And God knows what you are. He knows how he's instructed you. Not only that, but he knows what you are spiritually. He's given us life that we can know him. He's designed each of us for eternity. Not for 70 years or 50 years or 100 years. He's designed each of us for a lot longer than that. For eternity to be with him. And so David says in verse 15, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth. This idea of woven, of brought forth. It brings us to, to joy. When, you, when you're thinking for yourself and you think, you know, I'm disappointed in myself, God made you what you are. And that brings him pleasure. Not only that, it gets better. God has known you before you even existed. In verse 16, David says, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. All the days were ordained for me were, were written. They're already written. Remember that line. God is here. He sees your whole life. He knows what's going to happen each moment. 
He's not surprised. He doesn't go, oh, oh, I, I didn't see that coming. No, he knows. It's, it's kind of like um, if you go and you watch a movie in a cinema, and then your friend says, hey, we want to go see that movie. Come with us. Oh, okay, I'll go. But you've already seen the movie. And you sit there, and there's a temptation to say, oh, oh, watch this part. Watch this part. This is a good part. Don't miss this. This is important dialogue. And your friends will say, stop it. You're ruining the movie for us. What if you see it a third time with different people? Now it's getting boring. I know what's going to happen here. Oh, yeah, okay, he fell off a cliff. That was great, you know. Yeah. But it's also a sense of enjoyment because with your friends, you're anticipating. Look at them going, okay, let's see how they react to this scene. Because you've seen the movie. God has seen the movie. He's seen the movie of your life. But there's no spoilers. He just lets you and leads you as you live your life. But he knows. So, how do we respond to that? How did David respond in verses 17 and 18? He says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I wake, I am still with you. You know, God thinks about you in innumerable ways. You know, if you're, if you're parents of children, how often do you think of your children? Even if, even if they're away at camp, you're still thinking about them. Way at college, you're thinking about them. Then it's your grandkids. You never stop thinking about your family. It's just, you know, we're like, like our Father in Heaven. He thinks about us. And we cannot count the number of ways that he does. But how does it make you feel? How does it make you feel that God is thinking about you right now? How does it change your actions and your thoughts? Hmm. God's thinking about me. He knows who I am, where I am, and what I am. How should I be living my life? You may be, you may be thinking that uh, I sure hope no one else knows what I am. The reality is that God knows what you are, and when you give up what you are to Jesus, when you die to yourself and say, Lord, what I am, I give to you in Christ, he gives us back what we should be. And we can finally come to a point where we can say, you know, Lord, the way you've made me, I accept. You know, I'd, I'd love to have a bit more hair, you know, um, not wear glasses, you know, be a bit taller, a bit better posture or whatever. But God made me as he intended me to be. I look exactly the way I'm supposed to look. But inside, he's changing me to become what I'm supposed to be. In his grace, he changes the way we are. And he's doing the same for each one of us. God knows also what our church is supposed to be. And he's knitting us together as a congregation in deeper and deeper ways. As we come to know each other, as we welcome new people, as we are knit together by him and his spirit, we are changing. We're becoming what he wants us to be. And this time next year, whoever's standing here, will say, oh, back in 2016, and we will see where we've gone. We don't know that yet, but God does. So God knows who and where and what we are. And this brings us to the final and last point. God knows my heart. Now, this can kind of stand out. If you listened to Rob and, and, and when he uh, read the passage, did you find this unusual? David goes through and says, God, you know me in all these ways. And then in verse 
19, he says, If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. That seems to be out of place, doesn't it? Seems kind of, you know, struck me as odd when I first read it. But this is David pouring out his heart. This is David having his passion for God. In these verses 19 to 21. When you realize that God knows everything about you and the world, when you start to see things from God's perspective, you start to see the world as he sees it. And you react in what you see. Now, ironically, David was a man of bloodshed. He had a man killed. He was a soldier. Blood was on his hands. So much blood that God said, it'll be your son who builds the temple, not you. But David, you're a man of my own heart. In what sense? David was forgiven. You know, people... uh, in verse 20, he says, They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you. I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them as my enemies. It's very strong language. You know, people use um, the name of Jesus as a curse word. I'm sure you've heard it. In French, there are certain words that people use, uh, and they're offensive. And when I hear people react like that and use those words it really bothers me and it should bother you because this is our God who's being used in a way that he should not and it's disrespectful and sometimes I can react by saying you know God do something but God is patient because this is all balanced what David says with God's nature it's actually not in verses 21 to 22 that was supposed to be in the, the previous point But God has compassion on the repentant. Because he knows who, where, and what people are, he also has compassion and patience with them. In Jonah, you know, when Jonah was sent to warn the people of Nineveh of God's judgment, Jonah writes, When God saw what they did and how they returned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he threatened. That's great news. But how did Jonah react? But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. He was angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said would happen, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I, when I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and bounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Sometimes we can react like David. God, bring justice. Our world is full of injustice. Things are happening on the world that are horrible. God, judge now. And God says, I'm going to judge. But I know when to do it. I know who to judge, where to judge, because I know what is happening. Our response often is that many times we don't know what is in somebody's heart. Now, how many times... Do I, do you, rush to judge a situation not realizing that God is in control of it because he knows what's going on? And yet, despite this outburst of passion of David, I think he paused and reflected for a second because he ends in a very interesting way. He says, despite evil in the world, despite my desire to see God's justice and his name honored, he pauses and says, you know, Lord, actually... 
I want you to do something for me. I want you to search me. That's how he ends his final response. Search me and know my heart. Test me and my anxious thoughts. Show me my offense and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, why would God have to search you? Doesn't he know everything? Why would he investigate you? Why, why does David even say search? God searches, he knows. What? He doesn't have to search. He doesn't search us because he needs it. He searches us because we need it. He searches us because he's showing us who we are. He's showing us where we are and what we are. And David recognized this. And that's why he ends by saying, I give you permission, God. Look in my life. Show me what I am. If there's an offense in me, show me what it is. And then lead me in the way everlasting. As we conclude this morning's message, I want you to remember. Remember to know this. No matter what you're doing, no matter what you think about yourself or somebody else, know that God knows who you are. He knows where you are and what you are. And he knows what's inside of your heart. And as a result, as a result of that knowledge, it's not just enough to know it, it's to begin to live it out. It's to rest, to say, God, search me. Show me who I am. Show me where I am and what I am. And then, if, Lord, there are things in my life that are not right before you, show me them so I can confess them to you. That I can make restitution to those that I've wronged or ask for their forgiveness and not just yours. And that leads us to a place of worship. We rest in him because he knows who we are. We worship him because he knows who we are. And our longing is to live for him, to be led by him in the everlasting way. And this leads to our conclusion. Starting next week, running until Easter, we want to begin to work as a congregation in all aspects to learn to be led by God in his way everlasting. So next week we're starting a series on devotion, on being devoted to God. And moving from the way from God knows who we are to God knows how we should live. And he's provided means to do that. And so we're going to be launching this uh, next Sunday. And I think as I reflect on the upcoming messages and where God is taking us as a congregation, I think that if you will commit yourself to allowing God to lead you, we will see tremendous transformation amongst ourselves and in ourselves. But we'll talk about that next week. I get the privilege of continuing this next week in preaching. But we'll do this until we culminate into Easter as we're being led into the Easter season as we move through this series. Let's pray. Father, you know everything there is to know. And even in that knowledge, Lord, you still love us. Even in that knowledge, you still know, you still want us to be with you. Father, guide us and lead us. Give us the strength to trust you. Give us the courage to follow you. Lead us and guide us, Lord, now as we we gather for another song of worship and praise to your name for all that you know. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.